So the book of Jonah, you may be familiar with. It's only, it only takes up two pages in my Bible. It's fairly short. If you wanted to read this whole thing, you could read it in a few minutes. It's, it's a short book. We'll be looking at the end of the story, uh, but the story goes like this. The, the Lord appoints Jonah to go to Nineveh, a great city, and cry out against it. It's not a great city because it's a good city. It's a great city because it's a big city. So when the book refers to Nineveh as this great city, it's actually a wicked city. It's just large. It's a little, the population is actually only a little bit bigger than here or Hillsborough. It's 120,000 people. In Washington County, I believe we have maybe 600,000 people. I don't want to give that as a hard statistic, but somewhere in that ballpark, around 6,000 people, if that helps you picture. But in an ancient city, this is a very large city, and they are a wicked people. And Jonah has no affection for these people. So he runs the opposite way. He hops on a ship, and he, he tries to go the opposite way. But the Lord appoints a storm now. And this storm worries the Marines on the ship. Uh, and as you read the story, they find out it's because of Jonah. And Jonah says, you've got to throw me off the ship if you want this storm to stop. So then Jonah is thrown off the ship. The Lord now appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah is vomited up onto the land. And then Jonah then proceeds to preach the judgment that the Lord has called him to preach in the land of Nineveh. Then Nineveh repents. You have a full repentance in Nineveh. Children, nobles, even the animals are wearing sackcloth in the land. So you get this picture of a full repentance when you get to the end of chapter 3 where we're going to pick up in a minute. And you would think, that should be the end of the story. This is great. This is, let's just wrap it up here. But it doesn't end that way. We have chapter 4, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning. So if you have your Bibles, take them in your hand as we read. We'll pick up on the last verse of chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this text this morning, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see what it is you would have us to learn. Help us to have your heart. Help us to grow in our affection for the world that you have created, for the people that you have created, for the people that you have put in our paths. Help us to be obedient with the word that you have given us to share with those around us. Help us to love as you do. Help us to repent. Help us to see your wrath and repent as Nineveh. And help us to hear your word and share it with a world that desperately needs it. And help us to see people as you do. I pray that you would bless me as I preach this morning, that you would give me words that I do not have right now, and that you would give us understanding of your word. Please bless this time. In Christ we pray. Amen. So when you think of the book of Jonah, you typically think of the text that I introduced us with, which is basically chapters 1 through 3. We don't focus as much on this part of the story, but this this end of the story here is where we learn the heart, both the heart of Jonah and the heart of the Lord. This is a hard text for us. This is a hard text for me to preach. This is a convicting text for me to preach because I can see so much of Jonah in myself. I can see so much of someone who is reluctant to give the word of the Lord. I can see someone who doesn't see the 120,000 souls that need to hear the word of the Lord. I see Jonah when I see myself. So this is a hard text to preach. And I imagine for all of us, if we spend enough time on this, this is a hard text for us. It challenges us. But maybe you're like the nation of Nineveh. Maybe you're still at that point of needing to hear the wrath of God. That's where the gospel starts. It starts with the message of wrath. And then we have the good news of repentance. But maybe you're still at the point where Nineveh was. Or maybe you're like this reluctant prophet. And it's hard to have compassion on some people. There are some people that we believe are more worthy of compassion than others. And so Jonah, he has no compassion on these people. He doesn't see any worth in these people. He believes that they should receive wrath. And so he has... No desire at all for them to have an opportunity to repent. And that's why he runs. And so now the people have repented. And he is waiting to see what's going to happen. Will the Lord really do what I think he's going to do, which is not destroy these people? And that's not what Jonah wants, obviously. And so that's why we have chapter 4. This morning... We're going to look at the grace of God. And if I had to sum it up in one way, you need the grace of God. That is at the heart of what we're going to talk about. 
Jesus commands us to love our enemies, to pray for those who mistreat us. But we all struggle to do this. It's hard to pray for someone who's mistreating you. It's hard to love your enemies. Yet that is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. And so as we look at this, as we as we look into how we need the grace of God, we're going to look at three points because this helps me to organize my thoughts. I tend to always gravitate towards three points, and hopefully these three points will be helpful for everyone. Uh, the first point we're going to look at is that the grace of God leads to repentance. The second point will be that the grace of God exposes hearts. The third point will be that the grace of God teaches compassion. And these might all sound like they're the same point. Let me help us differentiate these points. The grace of God leads to repentance. This is the, this is, I'm referring to the Lord bringing outsiders in. The grace of God leads to repentance. The grace of God also exposes hearts. This is the Lord who keeps working on those people who have been brought to repentance, who have been saved, yet their hearts need to be exposed to them still because we still struggle. And the Lord teaches compassion. He helps us to see the world as he does. How many people do we not see as we go through our lives? It's like the more people you're around, the fewer people you see. It's like a defense mechanism. As we go through our day, if we were to try to, for example, greet everyone we saw at the supermarket, we would never get out. And so people become an obstacle to us. We just need to get past the people, and we don't see the people. And eventually we become numb to the fact that we live among thousands of people who do not know their right from their left, as the text describes it. And so the Lord teaches us compassion. He teaches us to see these people. But let's go to that first point now. His grace leads to repentance. Let's look again at verse 10, and we'll back up and look at verse 9 of chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Who knows? God may turn and relent. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's the word from the people in Nineveh. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he would do to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah sent to preach a message. And that message, which I have neglected to tell you what it was, that message was, in 40 days, Nineveh's not going to be a place. It's going to fall. And that's, that's all we're given of that message. It's a very simple message. Forty days and Nineveh will be no more. And so you would think that Jonah, if he hated these people, would be excited to give that message. But that message is a warning. That message is actually meant to lead them to repentance. That message is grace. It sounds like wrath. Forty days and Nineveh will be no more. It is a message that contains wrath, yes. But it's also a message of grace because it's intended to lead them to repent. I once had a friend tell me he loved the God of the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. He said the God of the New Testament is a God of grace and mercy and compassion, but the God of the Old Testament, that's a fierce God of of wrath. He orders his people to kill. And so he tried to create two gods, one of the New Testament and one of the Old Testament, and decided, I like the God of the New Testament. But what we see here in our text, 
that God of the New Testament, that God of grace that my friend said that he loved, well, we see very prominent in this text that the God of the Old Testament is a God of grace. It has those characteristics that my friend loved of the God of the New Testament, very much prominent in chapter 4 of Jonah. We see that this is a warning meant to lead the people to repentance. This is like like an orange traffic cone or the blinking lights when you're, when you're coming into construction. There's always construction everywhere you drive around here. And, and what do you do when you're, when you're doing construction? You set up signs. You want to warn people that there's danger ahead. And so we use bright colors, flashing lights, to get people's attention. This word that Jonah was given is like traffic cones for the people. There is danger ahead. Heads up. Wrath is coming. In 40 days. Yet Jonah wants to bury this news. So he runs the opposite way. He wants to treat this news like a landmine. Because wrath, if you bury it, it's like a landmine that you'll trip over and have an explosion. That's what he wants for them. And so he doesn't want to give this message. Yet, as we go through the book of Jonah, we see that the Lord appoints everything that needs to happen to bring the message to the people that he wants to hear it. So when the people hear it, in verse 9, we see that they throw themselves at the mercy of the Lord. It says that they repent. They say, who knows? Maybe this God will relent. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like any other books in the Bible or any other stories in the Bible? Jesus tells a parable that we refer to as the prodigal son, right? This is a son who has decided, I want to get my inheritance now, move out of my home, treat my family as if they're dead, go out and party. Then he loses everything, and he is in misery. And as he's in misery, he thinks of his father, and he thinks about the character of his father, and knows that if he goes and throws himself before his father in some form or fashion, his father's going to take care of him. And so he sets his hope in that. And he comes and he and he he comes with the intention of laying himself down before his father. And in a very similar way, the people here say, Who knows? Maybe the Lord will have compassion. That's what the prodigal son says. Who knows? My father, he he he'll probably you know he'll he will receive me. And so he they are throwing themselves at the mercy because of this warning. And so this news, this news of wrath, actually leads them to repentance. That's something we have to consider is that grace actually contains a message of wrath. When we preach the gospel to ourselves or to someone else, we cannot have the gospel without that message of wrath. It doesn't make sense to preach the gospel without wrath. Why would Jesus die if there wasn't death on the line? Why does Jesus experience such wrath if wrath isn't coming? But it is is a foundational principle of the gospel that we deserve wrath and that wrath is imminent. And so we repent and we plead with the Lord. We rest in his character and we trust in his provision. And for the Christian, you've heard that warning, and you've repented, and you know that the Father's grace is unmerited. 
But the world has a hard time with this concept of grace that is unmerited. Jonah has a hard time with this concept of grace that is unmerited. Years ago, I was in England. Um, I was staying with a Christian, but there were two non-Christians in his home. And they knew that I was a Christian, and they started up a conversation. The the non-Christians started up a conversation with me and said, our objection to Christianity, I thought this was kind of a strange objection, but I think I understand where they're coming from. Their, Their objection to Christianity was that there are some Christians who have been Christians for years, and when they die, they'll go to heaven. And there are other Christians who have maybe been Christians for 20 minutes before they die, and when they die, they'll go to heaven. These two men who did not know the Lord had the hardest time with the concept that grace is not merited. So for them, if I've been a Christian for 20 years, well, okay, I've earned, I've earned a little bit, so when I die and go to heaven, it makes sense. But if I've only been a Christian for 20 minutes, and I go to that same heaven as this other person, that makes no sense to them. What they don't understand is in the 20 years that I've been a Christian, I have stored up a lot of wrath in my disobedience. I've been accountable for a lot of things. And so grace is unmerited favor. And that is a concept that is so hard for us. Yet Jonah struggles with it, but he doesn't at the same time because he complains to the Lord saying, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were this kind of God. So let's look at the grace that exposes the heart. This is, um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 now of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and it made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what will become of the city. And so Jonah also knows the character of the Lord. Jonah knows what should be a comfort to us, right? That he is, he is abounding in mercy. These words are usually spoken as a comfort. For Jonah, it's a thorn in his side that the Lord would show mercy. And he knew if these people were to repent, that the Lord would have mercy on them. And he becomes angry with the Lord over the Lord's character. He becomes angry and questions God's goodness because he lacks the mercy of God. He lacks the character of God, that very character that makes him angry. He doesn't have. He doesn't have this, this same characteristic. He is not, not looking like the image of the Lord that we should be made into, right? And so it says that it displeased Jonah exceedingly in verse 1. Um, sometimes words are hard to translate into English. The word here in Hebrew that is translated as um, displeasing Jonah is also translated as calamity. It's also in in the same book. It's uh, disaster and evil. Okay, so this is the same word for all of these things. 
And it might help us to know that because that word is actually woven throughout this book. Um, and, and so the Lord relents from evil to the people, and it is evil to Jonah. So that, that word is like it's popping up over and over again. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, it actually happens twice. And so basically, if you were to literally try to translate this, it would be something to the effect that it was doing evil to Jonah, great evil, and he burned because of it. That's a very literal translation of what it says there. And so he is burning, and it is, it is a calamity to him. It is evil. It is, it is a complete disaster what is happening to him because now the people have repented, and he knows the Lord. And he knows that the Lord is going to be kind to them. He does not want anything to do with that. Yet, throughout the book, Jonah has received grace. And that same word, evil, has popped up as the fish saved him from calamity there. It was evil. That's the same word for that, that, that's used in verse 1 here. And the, as the plant that um, we'll read about in a moment um, comes up and gives him shade. It is also saving him from discomfort, it, as it's translated if you have the ESV. That's the same word there. It's, it's, this, it's like a really strong negative word here. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to translate these things, so sometimes we miss the continuity of, of the language there. But um, all that to say, the very things that have, that Jonah has been spared by from, The people are now going to be spared of, and it has that same characteristic to him now, that that is the calamity that he's experiencing, that they are not experiencing calamity. And so we're seeing Jonah's heart on display here. And contrast that to the Lord. The Lord turns from his anger, yet Jonah is burning in his anger, and it was evil to him. And he's angry with God. He is angry that God is gracious. He's offended by the Lord's kindness. Contrast that to Christ, who as he's being crucified says, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Do we see any of that in the attitude there of Jonah? Do we see any of that Christ-likeness? And when we compare our hearts to the Lord, Are our hearts exposed for what they are? How different are we than Christ? How different is our heart? Is it easy to love someone who's cheated you? Is it easy to love someone when you've been wronged? Is it easy to love those people that you see as just awful people? It's not easy. It's not easy at all. I don't know any other way to grow in love for these people except for to pray for the Lord to change us and to change them. I found in my own experience, I I remember um, a a very sobering moment when I realized how little I loved a particular individual and that it was kind of bordering on on hate. I'll go ahead and call it hate. Let's just call it hate of this person. I didn't know what to do about it. So I just started praying for good for the person, even though I don't know if I meant it at the time. And, um, and what, what I found over, over a course of, of a season was that I actually did begin to grow in affection for the person as I prayed for them regularly. I changed. I thought they needed to change. And, they, and the Lord actually did. I can, I can tell you a good testimony here that both that person changed, but you know what? I also changed. 
because I need it to change. And so how do we grow? How do we grow? As the Lord exposes our hearts, we pray. We ask for his spirit to work in us, to make us into the image of Christ, to make us into people that, like Christ, could say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That doesn't come natural for us. And so we need the Lord to do a supernatural work in our lives and to grow us in the, in the fruit of the Spirit, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control there. We need the work of the Spirit in our lives. And note that, note the fatherly interaction here too. The Lord is working with Jonah through all of this. The Lord is teaching Jonah, and we're about to look at an object lesson that the Lord gives to Jonah. And the Lord does this in other places in Scripture. The Lord does this with Cain. Before, before Cain kills Abel, the Lord speaks to him, and it's a very fatherly interaction, and that is the God that, that we know and serve. He teaches us. And so the Lord teaches Jonah here. He, he, the, Jonah has built a, a lean-to shack, and the Lord teaches him as he turns this shack into a greenhouse, into a sauna to cook him, basically. So let's, let's look at verses 6 through 11. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered, so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? I've always thought it was interesting that it ends mentioning cattle in this text, but I think that's there to teach us value. So Jonah is lamenting the loss of this plant. He's really lamenting the loss of comfort here, but he's he's lamenting the loss of this plant, and now we see that there's so much else on the line here. So much more on the line here. And so that mention of cattle there, this is showing the big picture. There is so much more at play here, Jonah, than your comfort, than your desires. How do you not see that that's out there and have compassion for it, Jonah? So Jonah has misplaced values. And so the Lord's grace here is teaching Jonah, compassion. And the Lord does this for us. He teaches us compassion. And a part of that is showing where we have misplaced our values. Jonah is focused on his immediate situation, on what is right there with him. But there is so much more. How often are we so focused on just our immediate situation, just what we are going through in the moment, 
But there is so much more to observe. And that's what Jonah is being taught here. And that's what we need to be taught, that there is a bigger world out there than just our little moment. And so the Lord appoints a plant and, it, and gives Jonah shade. Okay, you have to think about this. It's very hot where Jonah is. And so he's, he's, built, he's built for himself a shelter, a, you know, a, a sort of a makeshift shelter as he's sitting on the hill waiting to see once the time comes, remember the, the initial message was 40 days and Nineveh will perish. So he's sitting there waiting to see, is the Lord really going to relent from a disaster or is he going to destroy these people? Because he's still wanting to see them destroyed. And he's sitting there and he's waiting, but it's hot. So he's built for himself sort of a tent or a, a shack to, um, to cover himself. And, and if you've ever camped in the heat, in the sun... A tent only does so much. Sometimes it makes you hotter, actually, when you have a tent. I, uh, a few years ago, we had the heat wave come through, and we had record-breaking heat. Uh, that, same, that same time, we were camping at Crater Lake, and it was over 100 degrees at Crater Lake. And certain times of the day, your shade would change, right? So as the sun's moving, the shade's changing. Well, our tent was set up initially under the trees, because I had learned it needs to be under the trees, otherwise I've built a greenhouse and not a tent. And so in order to keep from being baked, I was moving our tent throughout the day, just trying to keep it cool, because it was so hot and it was relentless. There was nowhere you could go to get, get away from the heat. And so what the Lord has done here has, has provided the shade to go over his shade so that it would actually be cool. And the Lord has given this to Jonah, and it says that Jonah is exceedingly grateful. He's very excited about this. It's very strong language there. He's very, he's pumped about this. And so he enjoys this for a time. But then it says, not only did the Lord appoint a plant, so the Lord does this, the Lord also appoints a worm to come kill the plant. So now the plant dies, and so the sun is now beating down on him. And the Lord appoints a scorching wind. So now a hot wind is blowing in. If you've ever experienced that, that's like a convection oven, the way a convection oven works, and it's forcing hot air in, and it actually cooks a little more thoroughly. So Jonah is being thoroughly cooked like a convection oven here. He's, he's really miserable. And so now he's exceedingly miserable. So he goes from being on top of the world about this plant, and now his world is crumbled because of this. So the Lord has removed this shade tree to teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah could not see the value of these people, but he could see the value of a shade tree. And so as Jonah has to learn this lesson, this is a lesson for us. What are the things that we value? It's easy to see the value of the things that serve us, right? The shade tree is serving Jonah. And so it's so easy for him to see its value. And he mourns its loss. When he loses the shade tree, he mourns for it. What about someone who's cheated you? Is it easy to see that person's value? I would argue it's not easy to see that person's value. Yet, the Lord is teaching Jonah here. All of these people have value. Think about creation. Think about the days of creation. At the end of each day, there's this refrain. The Lord saw what he made, and he said, it's good. 
The Lord's already made it. It's good. And then you get to the end. Man, when mankind's created, he says, he gets to the end there and he says, it's very good. The Lord loves his creation. Particularly, he loves man whom he has created. And Jonah here has to learn to see man as God's creature whom he cares deeply about. Um, I gave the illustration of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son's brother? He was not happy that his brother is received. His reaction was, so we might think it's a little over the top that Jonah wants to see this whole nation fall and that he's camping out and waiting to see is is wrath about to rain down on these people or not. The prodigal son's brother is a lot more relatable. I think when we go through the prodigal son's story, we read it and we see the prodigal son's brother the and who is who has been faithful he's been at the house the whole time he's been holding it down as his brother's been out there partying his brother comes back and is given a feast and is treated kindly and it burns him like jonah is burning here it burns the prodigal son's brother and we we can read that story and go I, I think I would feel that way if, if I were in his shoes. I've been faithful. This guy hasn't, yet he's getting the party. I didn't get a party. I stayed here. And so he, he, he's upset about it. He fails to rejoice at the sinner who has come home. But that prodigal son parable is also given with two other parables given by Jesus to show us the value of the lost being saved, that lost sheep coming home. Jesus is driving that message home because the people were not rejoicing at sinners repenting. That is a struggle, not just for Jonah. It was a struggle for people at the time of Jesus, and it's a struggle for us because we just do not see people as God does, and we desperately need him to show us this world that he loves that we would love it the same way that he loves it. But by the grace of God, we were brought in. We were made disciples when we were wicked. We were just as wicked as the prodigal son who ran off. We were just as wicked as the Ninevites. And he brought us in and makes us disciples. And what does he do with us? He calls us to make more disciples. That is his model. That is what he wants for us. And so the closing questions I have for us is, is the Lord right in his compassion to love sinners? And should we not share in his compassion? Have we not already received his compassion? And should we not share his compassion? The Lord has appointed for Jonah a storm, a fish, a plant, scorching heat. The the Lord appointed for Nineveh, Jonah, to give them a message. And what has he appointed in your life? What, what, is, what kind of storms maybe has he appointed in your life? Or has he planted uh, a lesson like, like the tree and taken it out from under you to show you something? Has he, has he appointed someone in your life to share the gospel with you? I hope he has. When I was 15 years old, the Lord appointed a high school student to share the gospel with me. And what has he appointed you for? What has he called you for? And we need his grace so that he would lead us in our repentance. Remember that grace gives a warning. 
And maybe he's made you a messenger of that warning. Maybe you're the one who needs to hear that warning. You are in need of his grace and compassion, and you can take comfort because he is a God who is gracious. He is merciful. And his grace exposes our heart. This is another gracious, unmerited thing that he would do, that he would show us our heart, that he would show us the way that we have failed to mirror his image, and that he would teach us compassion, that he would show us the people that are around us, that he would help us to see people as his creation and not obstacles to what we are trying to accomplish, but that we would see people as he does. And do we share the heart of Christ? Could we say, forgive them, Father? They do not know what they're doing. Lord, have mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would reveal the affections of our hearts, that we would see the things that we love more than you. Help us to see the things that we love more than obedience to you. Father, give us hearts that long to serve you and not to be served. Create in us a tenderness for that 120,000 people at our doorstep that do not know their right from their left. They don't know where they are, Lord. They don't know who you are, Lord. Help us to be instruments of that grace and compassion that we see here. Help us to be both messengers of wrath, but also messengers of your grace. That we would present the situation and the gospel to those around us. That we would be faithful and hear you as you call. Help us to not run from those things that you have given us, but instead help us to run to those things that you have given us in obedience, in in excitement that you would work a miracle in wicked people. In Christ I pray, amen. Amen.